Chapter Twenty Four of the Courage of Marjo Doon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Courage of Marjo Doon by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Twenty Four. David no longer saw the horde of faces beyond the thick bars of the cage. His last glance, shot past the lowered head and hulking shoulders of his giant adversary, went to the girl. He noticed that she had ceased her struggling and was looking toward him. After that his eyes never left Brokaw's face. Until now it had not seemed that Brokaw was so big and so powerful, and sizing up his enemy in that moment before the first rush, he realized that his one hope was to keep him from using his enormous strength at close quarters. A clinch would be fatal. In Brokaw's arms he would be helpless. He was conscious of an unpleasant thrill as he thought how easy it would be for the other to break his back or snap his neck if he gave him the opportunity. Science! What would it avail him here, pitted against this mountain of flesh and bone that looked as though it might stand the beating of clubs without being conquered? His first blow returned his confidence, even if it had wavered slightly. Brokaw rushed. It was an easy attack to evade, and David's arm shot out and his fist landed against Brokaw's head with a sound that was like the crack of a whip. Hawk would have gone down under that blow like a log. Brokaw staggered. Even he realized that this was science, the skill of the game, and he was grinning as he advanced again. He could stand a hundred blows like that, a grim and ferocious Achilles with but one vulnerable point, the end of his jaw. David waited and watched for his opportunity as he gave ground slowly. Twice they circled about the blood-splattered arena, Brokaw following him with leisurely sureness, and yet delaying his attack as if in that steady retreat of his victim he saw torture too satisfying to put an end to at once. David measured his carelessness, the slow, almost unguarded movement of his great body, his unpreparedness for a coup de main, and like a flash he launched himself forward with all the weight of his body behind his effort. It missed the other's jaw by two inches, that catapeltic blow, striking him full in the mouth, breaking his yellow teeth and smashing his thick lips so that the blood sprang out in a spray over his hairy chest. And as his head rocked backward, David followed with a swift left-hander, and a second time missed the jaw with his right, but drenched his clenched fist in blood. Out of Brokaw there came a cry that was like the low roar of a beast, a cry that was the most inhuman sound David had ever heard from a human throat. And in an instant he found himself battling not for victory, not for that opportunity he twice had missed, but for his life. Against that rushing bulk, enraged almost to madness, the ingenuity of his training alone saved him from immediate extinction. How many times he struck in the one hundred and twenty seconds, following his blow to Brokaw's mouth, he could never have told. He was red with Brokaw's blood. His face was warm with it. His hands were as if painted, so often did they reach with right and left to Brokaw's gory visage. It was like striking at a monstrous thing without the sense of hurt, a fiend that had no brain, that blows could sicken, a body that was not a body, but an enormity that had strangely taken human form. 
Brokaw had struck him once, only once in those two minutes, but blows were not what he feared now. He was beating himself to pieces, literally beating himself to pieces as a ship might have hammered itself against a reef, and fighting with every breath to keep himself out of the fatal clinch. His efforts were costing him more than they were costing his antagonist. Twice he had reached his jaw. Twice Brokaw's head had rocked back on his shoulders, and then he was there again, closing in on him, grinning, dripping red to the soles of his feet, unconquerable. Was there no fairness out there beyond the bars of the cage? Were they all like the man he was fighting? Devils? An intermission, only half a minute, enough to give him a chance. The slow, invincible beast he was hammering almost had him as his thoughts wandered. He only half-fended the sledge-like blow that came straight for his face. He ducked, swung up his guard like lightning, and was saved from death by a miracle. That blow would have crushed in his face, killed him. He knew it. Brokaw's huge fist landed against the side of his head and grazed off like a bullet that had struck the slanting surface of a rock. And yet the force of it was sufficient to send him crashing against the bars and down. In that moment he thanked God for Brokaw's slowness. He had a clear recollection afterward of almost having spoken the words as he lay dazed and helpless for an infinitesimal space of time. He expected Brokaw to end it there, but Brokaw stood mopping the blood from his face as if partly blinded by it, while from beyond the cage there came a swiftly growing rumble of voices. He heard a scream. It was the scream, the agonized cry of the girl, that brought him to his feet, while Brokaw was still wiping the hot flow from his dripping jaw. It was that cry that cleared his brain, that called out to him in its despair that he must win, that all was lost for her as well as for himself if he was vanquished. For more positively than at any other time during the fight, he felt now that defeat would mean death. It had come to him definitely in the savage outcry of joy when he was down. There was to be no mercy. He had read the ominous decree, and Brokaw, he was like a madman as he came toward him again. There was no longer the leer on his face. There was in his battered and swollen countenance but one emotion. Blood and hurt could not hide it. It blazed like fires in his half-closed eyes. It was the desire to kill. The passion which quenches itself in the taking of life and every fiber in David's brain rose to meet it. He knew that it was no longer a matter of blows on his part. It was like the David of old facing Goliath with his bare hands. Curiously, the thought of Goliath came to him in these flashing moments. Here, too, there must be trickery, something unexpected, a deadly stratagem, and his brain must work out his salvation quickly. Another two or three minutes, and it would be over one way or the other. He made his decision. The tricks of his own art were inadequate, but there was still one hope, one last chance. It was the so-called knee-break of the bush country. A horrible thing, he had thought, when Father Roland had taught it to him. Break your opponent's knees, the missioner had said, and you've got him. He had never practiced it. But he knew the method, and he remembered the little missioner's words. When he's straight facing you, with all your weight, like a cannon-ball, 
and suddenly he shot himself out like that as Brokaw was about to rush upon him a hundred and sixty pounds of solid flesh and bone against the joints of Brokaw's knees the shock dazed him there was a sharp pain in his left shoulder and with that shock and pain he was conscious of a terrible cry as Brokaw crashed over him he was on his feet when Brokaw was on his knees whether or not they were really broken he could not tell with all the strength in his body he sent his right again and again to the bleeding jaw of his enemy Brokaw reached up and caught him in his huge arms But that jaw was there unprotected and David battered it as he might have battered a rock with a hammer a Gasping cry rose out of the giant's throat his head sank backward and through a red fury through blood that splattered up into his face David continued to strike and strike until the arms relaxed about him and with a choking gurgle of blood in his throat Brokaw dropped back limply as if dead and Then David looked again beyond the bars the staring faces had drawn nearer to the cage bewildered stupefied disbelieving like the faces of stone images for a space it was so quiet that it seemed to him that they must hear his panting breath and the choking gurgle that was still in Brokaw's throat The victor he flung back his shoulders and held up his head though he had great desire to stagger against one of the bars and rest He could see the girl and hawk and now the girl was standing alone looking at him She had seen him she had seen him beat that giant beast and the great pride rose in his breast and spread in a joyous light over his bloody face Suddenly he lifted his hand and waved it at her in a flash. She was coming to him She would have broken her way through the cordon of men, but Hawk stopped her He had seen Hawk talking swiftly to two of the white men and now Hawk caught the girl and held her back David knew that he was dripping red and he was glad that she came no nearer Hawk was telling her to go to the house and David nodded and with a movement of his hand made her understand that she must obey Not until he saw her going did he pick up his shirt and step out among the men Three or four of the whites went to Brokaw the rest stared at him still in that amazed silence as he passed among them He nodded and smiled at them as though beating Brokaw had not been such a terrible task after all he noticed there was scarcely an expression in the faces of the Indians and then he found himself face to face with Hawk and a step or two behind Hawk were the two white men he had talked to so hurriedly One of them was the man David had brushed against in passing through the big room There was a grin in his face now There was a grin in Hawk's face and a grin in the face of the third man and to David's astonishment Hawk thrust out his hand Shake rain. I'd have bet a thousand to fifty you were a loser, but there wasn't a dollar going your way a great fight He turned to the other two take rain to his room boys help him wash up I've got to see to Brokaw and this crowd David protested he was all right. He needed only water and soap both of which were in his room But Hawk insisted that it wasn't square and wouldn't look right if he didn't have friends as well as Brokaw Brokaw had forced the affair so suddenly that none of them had had time or thought to speak an encouraging or friendly word before the fight Langdon and Henry would go with him now He walked between the two to the nest and entered his room with them Langdon the tall man who had looked hatred at him last night poured water into a tin basin while Henry the smaller man closed his door 
they appeared quite companionable especially langdon didn't like you last night he confessed frankly thought you was one of them damn police running your nose into our business maybe he stood beside david with a pail of water in his hand and as david bent over the basin henry was behind him he had drawn something from his pocket and was edging up close as david dipped his hands into the water he looked up into langdon's face and he saw there a strange and unexpected change that deadly malignity of last night in that moment the object in henry's hand fell with terrific force on his head and he crumpled down over the basin he was conscious of a single agonizing pain like a hot iron thrust suddenly through him and then a great and engulfing pit of darkness closed about him end of chapter twenty four